Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green and your host. Hey everyone. So we all know that anxiety and stress manifest themselves in many different ways. And one of those ways is sleep. And something we've learned about sleep is that lifestyle matters, habits matter, supplementation matters. And where we're going to dive into that today is what we can do in terms of our nighttime routine to set ourselves up for a good night's sleep. So with that being said, we're going to dive deep on all things winding down in the evening with our very own director of scientific affairs, Dr. Ashley Jordan Ferreira. Ashley, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me. As I said, we all know that lifestyle plays a huge role. And in terms of lifestyle, setting up good habit stacking or good sleep etiquette can really help us have a good night's sleep. And without going into my routine or my wife Colleen's routine yet, which I will later, my question to you is, do women and men have sleep differences and specifically like in their needs about winding down? And, and their routines to help them wind down. I, I know that Colleen and I do, but I'll ask you that question. Yeah, I think that our listeners are probably thinking right now about the differences in their household, maybe between men and women. And so that might just be a manifestation of, to your point, biological differences. So I think that this is true for a multitude of health differences. Women are not just miniature versions of men. <laughs> so we, we need to think of the complexities and the differences and how that might impact sleep, not only our needs, but what, how our challenges might look differently. So we do know from the science that women report significantly more sleepiness and significantly greater prevalence of short sleep duration than men. What is short sleep duration? That's less than seven hours of sleep a night. This is impacting 35% of the United States of sleepy, as I like to sarcastically call us. That's 70 million folks getting short sleep. Again, women at higher risk. Women are also at higher risk of developing these sleep disorders we've all heard of, insomnia, RLS, restless leg syndrome. They're, women are known to have more difficulty not just falling asleep, but staying there, staying asleep. And then we're more fatigued during the day. So it's like the trifecta of sleep challenge. Biologically, we experience more. Here, here's a difference that's positive. More slow wave sleep or deep sleep. That's going to be in the non-REM stage three, right before you hit REM. So we experience more of that than men. When I think about the biology, I'm not a chronobiologist. I did take an entire course of chronobiology at Penn with Dr. David Dinges. That that was fascinating. But one of the things I remember from that class is the hormonal inputs and fluxes are just so drastically different between men and women. So not only do women have the monthly menstrual cycle, but you know pregnancy occurs and then menopause comes around. And these hormonal changes can manifest in you know physiological ways that directly get in the way of sleep. Like we know pregnancy, trimesters one and three, especially menopause, you could call it the hot flashes or the temperature dysregulation, but 
the point is these hormones underlie and underpin these uh, physiological challenges and are robbing women of sleep. In fact, just to add a little more, thyroid disease is way more common in women than men. And fatigue is a hallmark symptom of hypothyroidism. And mood disorders are twice as common in women than men. So this is anxiety, depression, and the like. These mood challenges are a top culprit of sleep loss. So it's interesting, something I was reading, the differences in sleep by sex don't start really occurring until puberty. Well, isn't that interesting when the hormonal inputs start significantly uh, changing? And then one last thing I'll that comes to mind is socially and there are differences. I'll make a blanket statement here. So don't write in angry people, but like I'm a feminist and I like to wear the pants, but socially women are still juggling jobs, duties at home, and we're still disproportionately carrying the caregiving duties of not just children, but aging parents as well. So sure. it's multifactorial equation here. Sure. Coming back to, to that routine and setting up ourselves for success, can we talk about light and blue light and how we should be thinking about light at night? Light at night. <laughs> Avoid light at night. <laughs> so blue light. Blue light's gotten a bad rap and probably has really good SEO, Google search potential. Everybody's looking it up. So blue light, interestingly... We're getting it, it's what we get from the sun, so it's not all bad. This is a short wavelength, high energy light that our our eyes respond to. It hits all the way at the back of the retina, which is one reason why we think too much blue light might be phototoxic and contribute to age-related macular degeneration. But it's because of the high energy, short wavelength, it, it is helping us stay awake it is contributing to when we need to be uh, alert and accomplishing duties. But in terms of sleep, it's really out of place. Blue light is messing up our natural sleep-wake rhythm. And specifically why blue light, we don't like people who send mixed signals, right? Well, blue light is sending mixed signals to melatonin production in the pineal gland. And so that is the simplest way to explain to folks why when we insert excessive blue light into the hours that we should be winding down and preparing for sleep and sleeping, it really is counterproductive to these natural sinking rhythms that we're designed to honor. And that our, I've been thinking more about this recently. It's not just like your pineal gland drops out some melatonin, like no, in your hypothalamus, there's the suprachiasmatic nucleus, and it turns on clock genes. We have genes that are called clock genes, and it's this beautifully complex symphony, if you will, of melatonin telling us time for bed and keeping us in bed, cortisol in the morning to wake up, and a variety of other activities that are critical while we're sleeping and critical while we're awake, and they should be separated in those times of the day. And we're blurring the lines. With blue light, we're blurring the lines of what our clock genes were designed to do. And so in terms of avoiding that blue light, I'm assuming it's 
limit technology, limit TV. If you're going to indulge, maybe wear some blue blocking glasses. There are so many great brands out there to choose from these days. That's not about right. Yeah, I think that the companies are stepping up to the plate. There's blue light filter technology. And I think just being cognizant of that. I mean, I'm no, I'm no purist when it comes to like, I like some television and some shows sometimes to wind down. So for me personally, and that's me personally, I can do blue light in a way that is toned down and intentionally, like I'm intentional about being careful. I also put my phone on airplane mode and away from my head in my bed. So that's not light, that's signals and radiation, other things that could be controversial to get into here. But anyways, yeah, there are ways to protect ourselves from the blue light at night. Something else, so if I think of nighttime, there's obviously light, there's technology, and there's also, before that, there's food, there's dinner, there's, there's a beverage, maybe <laughs> alcohol, maybe not alcohol. So how should we be thinking about dinner and, and alcohol? Right. So as a dietitian, I always think of food quite positively and nourishing um, our body. So if we think about what sleep is not just we're sedated, our body is very active, our mind is very active in doing healing and restorative processes. So if we think of sleep as that, then I would like during the day to consume food that is setting up my body's cells, tissues, and organs with the critical macro, micro, and phytonutrients that it needs to function. And we don't think about functioning or even thriving when we're sleeping, but, you know, absolutely in terms of repairing wear and tear of our DNA and detoxification is happening and important homeostatic pathways for hormones and blood sugar and metabolism, these are all immune function goes on and on or happening while we're sleeping. So, so imagine if you throw a bunch of pro inflammatory foods at your cells during the day and their sugar is an example, a bunch of sugar and our cells are diverted into this cleanup mode at night, right? They're trying to combat oxidative stress and tackle the cellular cleanup known as autophagy. Not only is that not healthy, it's not great for our sleep. It's like if you went into Costco and like that person who comes up behind you and refolds the shirts wasn't there and you just, it was just ran amok. That's what you don't want to do for sleep. You want to, you want to set yourself up for, to thrive at night. Um, so I think what that looks like though, is not just high quality foods that are colorful and high in fiber and include antioxidants, but we have to think about, do we have gaps do, are we in a are we in a gap state with some of these micronutrients? And the fact of the matter is, the nationally representative NHANES data says we are. And in fact, in 2019, there was a really specific NHANES data set that showed if you get less than seven hours of sleep a night, short sleepers, you're getting even worse. You're consuming even less, so you have worse intake of calcium, magnesium, vitamin D, vitamin K. So those are already gaps in our nation, and they're even worse when you're a short sleeper. So if I'm going grocery shopping, I love shopping lists. Our, our audience loves shopping lists. I really love shopping lists. So if I'm going grocery shopping, what's on my pro-com and pro-sleep grocery list? 
Okay, I think that you would want to look for colorful, a lot of plants, a lot of color, sugar light, and then quality protein would be the core features that are, I think, anti-inflammatory and antioxidant. And you might you might put in your shopping cart some wonderfully spicy things, but don't consume those near bedtime. Our heaviest, larger meal, nothing should be excessive in terms of portion any time of the day, but our largest meal should not be ever close to bedtime. And, you know, throw some dark chocolate and some coffee beans in your cart, but those are going to be distanced from bedtime with intention. Some So magnesium, I will hopefully get to talk about more in a bit as a targeted mineral, but magnesium dense foods. So your magnesium requirement is quite high. It's a major nutrient gap. Nuts, seeds, whole grains, leafy greens, legumes, these are magnesium dense foods that should go into your cart. And some folks still swear by the tryptophan turkey Thanksgiving phenomenon. The science is not super clear on on that, but if I will tell you, if you are pro tryptophan approach, it won't hurt you. This is an essential amino acid. You're looking at poultry, oats, nuts and seeds, and then for dairy consumers out there, whole milk and cheese. And then something that was really fascinating, a publication just at the end of last week that hit my Google alerts. So time-restricted feeding, intermittent fasting, uh, a reputable journal, the Endocrine Reviews. So they demonstrated this dichotomy. Basically, if you consume your meals in a consistent window daily, less than 12 hours. So some people are really strict and say eight hours. I think that's quite hard to live out. So less than 12 hours of eating. That window is linked to less obesity, better metabolic health, and guess what? Better sleep, better quality of life. And eating over a longer window and or frequently changing that window is linked to exactly the opposite. Exactly the opposite. So, oh, and I I forgot to answer you about beverages. So caffeine, some people say the 12 or 2 p.m. rule. I'm more compassionate and flexible than that. I'm a rapid caffeine metabolizer. So I'm a real bad example. I'm consuming caffeine into the evening and I have no problem sleeping, but that is not going to be advice when I sit down with a client one-on-one. Like you have to deduce that for, for yourself as the individual. That's a straightforward stimulant that you need to be careful about. And then alcohol is, of course, in moderation for overall health, but it also can be kind of counterproductive if you're using it to induce sleep. It actually can be getting in the way of REM sleep, this so desired REM stage of sleep. And and then you're going to wake up and be less energized and need the alcohol again. So it's kind, kind of a vicious cycle. And then there's like, the botanicals and the bioactives that I don't know, you might not be able to find in the store where your shopping cart is. So <laughs> we can. Well, yeah, we'll go there next. One thing I'll just point out with regards to alcohol, something I found in a personal level, if I have a glass or two of wine and I'll try to drink the biodynamic wine, the low sugar, there are a lot of great brands, whether it's Dry Farm or Thrive Market, or there's just so many great options. Doesn't necessarily affect sleep. Or if I have a beer, doesn't really affect, affect sleep. Now, if I have a margarita and I, even if I do like a low sugar one at home, tequila, 
that will have more of an impact because I measure it with aura and I measure recovery and whoop and measure everything that will have more of an impact on sleep. And the other thing with regards to hydration, I'll mention hydration, segueing to hydration, hydration matters for me with sleep. Mm-hmm. And if I don't drink a lot of water during the day, it affects my sleep score. And on the, also I'm a man who's 47. If I drink, I can't drink too much water at night. Otherwise I spend much of the night going to the bathroom. Like I have to cut mm-hmm. off my water at like 7 p.m. I also wonder. Like I, I front load my water. I front load my hydration in the morning. I just find if you come to the office and you're here in the morning, I'm like, oh, Jason's going to the bathroom again. Oh, Jason's going to the bathroom again. <laughs> I I like that approach. Yeah, the water piece is something I was thinking of an analogy f- for sleep. Either water or brushing your teeth. Like we just don't think sleep is as essential as those things, but it is. And also, it made me think women generally have smaller bladders than men, so this might even show up more as a potential disruptor for sleep if we're drinking too close to bedtime. So yeah, thanks for bringing up my favorite beverage, water. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, we'll segue to botanicals and targeted supplements. You mentioned magnesium briefly. What are your top candidate ingredients or nutrients for promoting calm to help you wind down and sleep? Calm and sleep go hand in hand. Well, I think that some of these, some are nutrients, some are botanicals, some are bioactives. There's a little bit of crossover dependent on interpretation, dose, and intended use, but I am a fan of buckets. So I'm going to bucket for you. (laughs) Calm for me, number one is full spectrum, organic hemp oil, the full spectrum, because you want to leverage the native entourage of the phytocannabinoids, terpenes, the flavonoids. This is the, as close to the, you know, as the hemp plant was designed to be. And yes, we all know CBD cannabidiol is the one that has been quite heavily studied and therefore gotten some, you know, brand equity behind its <laughs> difficult to say name. CBD is important part of that full spectrum of the hemp oil. This hemp oil, these bioactives are, they're called phytocannabinoids, um, plant cannabinoids, and they are able to interact with the internal endocannabinoid system that is a broad, complex physiological system in all of our bodies. And there are receptors throughout our bodies, including in the brain. CB1 receptors are known to be concentrated in the brain, especially. And so for calm, not just at night, but any time of the day, I, I, I like full spectrum hemp oil. Next would be some adaptogenic herbs like rhodiola or ashwagandha. These are top two that come to mind for being able to, as their name implies, adapt to stressors, be more resilient with inputs that we can't anticipate, which, you know, is every day. So these are also helping with the functions of our HPA axis involved in our our adrenals. When you think of like stress and fight or flight and your adrenals need to calm down. So these mechanistically interact with those in a positive and balancing way. Then I I like lavender and L-theanine. I also like lemon balm, but lemon balm can 
lemon balm could definitely span and calm or sleep. But so I like L-theanine for its function can be calming. It can also, at a, depending on the dose, make you more focused. So that's a tricky one. Mm-hmm. The, you have to tread lightly there with L-theanine. But lavender, I just, I think is fascinating. We're more familiar with lavender in the aromatherapy world and the having the beautiful purple lavender flowers a bunch of them by our bed or whatnot. But as a botanical, putting it in a concentrated and reliable dose format, I think is really helpful to to calm down and, and relax as well. So that, that would be my calm, wind down uh, lineup. And then in terms of sleep, so interestingly, full spectrum hemp oil can also be sleep promoting. It depends on the the dose. So when I'm talking about calming, you're like in the 10, 20, 25 milligram CBD range. When I'm talking about sleep, you're, this is very anecdotal, like this is an emerging earlier area of science, but anecdotally what I've heard is going to be 25, 30, 40, you know, 40 is more of a sleep realm of the CBD milligrams. So aside from hemp oil, there's magnesium, I think is just as a nutritionist, a top nutrient gap. It's an essential macro mineral. The, of all the forms out there, so oxide is going to be lower bioavailability and cheaper. And citrate has a good bioavailability profile. I prefer citrate for promoting like digestion and poops. And the, those are the applications. I prefer the bisglycinate or the, the chelate glycinate form for sleep. It's gentle on, on the stomach. It's bioavailable. And that just lines up with how you want to feel when you're taking something close to sleep. And after magnesium, the anything in the GABA family, this is a widely studied neurotransmitter. It's actually a naturally occurring amino acid neurotransmitter, just like magnesium is a naturally occurring mineral. And uh, GABA tells the brain like, hey, calm down. And it's been shown in clinical trials to enhance sleep quality. Magnesium also has clinical trial evidence to back it for this, not only falling asleep faster, but staying asleep longer. And then I'll touch briefly on melatonin. So Interestingly, tart cherry extract is a natural source of melatonin, maybe preferable to the most melatonin, 99% of melatonin in the market is synthetic, FYI, and maybe preferable to melatonin itself. Or you could take 5-HTP, which it, it produces serotonin, which then can be converted to melatonin if there's some vitamin B6 around. So a few more steps, but potentially useful and like, I'll just list the other ones that you might see in a blend. I, there's nothing that's going to have this all at clinically studied doses because it would be a massive pill. But valerian, lemon balm, hops, passionflower, chamomile, and skullcap. In terms of clinical trials, mm, in terms of millennia of use, yep. <laughs> and, right. and, then, and then botanicals that are maybe lesser known, but I, I really am a fan is, is jujube. This is the seed extract specifically known to have a calming effect on our brain and has sedating in a good way properties. 
So the, that's the lineup that I would say can play in sleep time. It's a great lineup. M many of those ingredients in the lineup we have in our Calm Plus and our Sleep Support Plus products, and they're great products. We, we, we hope you try them. And if not, just take the shopping list. And, and there are lots of other great brands out there that you sh that you can try. And every everyone's unique, although we, we think that our products are pretty amazing. But I do want to spend some time on some of these ingredients, because I think that there's some important points that our audience should understand. And one is hemp. And mm -hmm. something that I was just blown away when we were doing the research and formulating our Calm Plus was hemp that's grown in the US versus hemp that is in the EU and certified organic. And I was blown away in terms of what's legal what's safe. And mm -hmm. I was just so shocked to hear or understand that it's still a little bit of the wild west here. You don't know what you're getting. So can we just talk about that for a second and, and why we sure. made the conscious decision to go with the EU for our hemp? Yeah, I think that, so I was actually reading about hemp history recently. I think it's fascinating. If I was doing my PhD again right now, I would probably do my dissertation in something with hemp and the endocannabinoid system. So we in this nation have only brought hemp farming back in like the past two decades, but it used to be the primary staple crop. I say that, oh, and it dates back to 10,000 years. So 8,000 BC in like modern day Iraq, hemp was grown and used and widely across the world spread from there. I say that because like we knew what we were growing any, I'm not a farmer, but any, any farmer or farming family listening would be able to attest to the fact that plant genetics and plant science and, and, and breeding is very much a complex science. And it's not that we're not growing it with excellence now that the farm bill allowed industrial hemp growth to thrive, revive again in the U.S. But I will say that Europe, they didn't have that big lag of, you know, hemp didn't go away for them like it did for us in about the 1950s to, to 2000. So we, in, in Europe, one of the reasons why when we vetted the possible strains of cannabis sativa, the specific cultivar variety that is hemp, we went with an agricultural hemp from Europe not only because of their long history, but what does that mean? That means they have in Europe, the EU seed bank certified DNA tested hemp strains where to get in that bank, you had to have decades of proof of safe human consumption. You literally have to DNA test the hemp biomass and prove the, the parts of the hemp and that it's not marijuana or pot, that it's in fact hemp. And because, so I'll just say the definition of industrial hemp in the US is at its core, like a THC level less than 0.3% dry weight. Well, theoretically, you could grow pot and then like dilute and you can artificially mess with the profile of the phytocannabinoids. In Europe, if you have a DNA tested strain, you, there's no like covering that up. There's no lying potential. And not only that, Europe has an even more rigorous standard of less than 
8% THC, the psychoactive cannabinoid we, we all have heard of. So it's even more robust over there. And in, in fact, they have fancier terms than over stateside. So an agricultural hemp is considered a non-narcotic type 3 CBD dominant chemotype. <laughs> so they're getting really specific where you we're not using those terms over over here yet. Like maybe we will. And in in terms of like that's at the core of the DNA of the plant, which you might not think about. But not only that, our particular strain is eco-farmed. It's from a heritage ancestral strain known as Futura 75. And it's non-GMO and it's it's organic. So we not only got the EU certified organic, which is hard, we got the USDA certified organic on, on this hemp oil that is the lead in our Calm Plus um, gel cap product. So that's why I'm a huge fan. Oh, and I'll talk about extraction. Like the cream of the crop for extraction methods of the hemp oil from the plant is carbon dioxide, CO2 extraction. And our hemp oil is 100% CO2 extraction, which means no solvents are used and no, a cheaper route would be you hit it with heat. Well, then you're hitting phytocannabinoids with heat, not good for their stability. So all around, um, super proud of our full spectrum organic hemp oil from Europe. Yeah. And I'll just add for me personally, what put this one over the finish line for us was the fact that it's safe. Mm -hmm. I have no intention at this stage of my life of ever getting high <laughs> and having that DNA test, like there's great peace of mind. Whereas in the US, we're just not there yet. And there's still a lot of stuff out there that doesn't have that rigor, if you will. So right. what else, you know, we've talked about so that, that formula, you know, we've got the the EU certified organic hemp, we've got the, the lavender, which we've talked about, and we have got the ashwagandha. We'll, we'll move on, but like briefly, can you talk about like what I love about that product? Again, like these things go hand in hand. So what this looks like for Colleen and I in our routine is we, we take this right after dinner and then we take our sleep support product, which we'll segue in later. Can you just talk about like how they interact and, and with regards to like working with like the endocannabinoid system and how these compounds like interact kind of like help help start the the wind down process. Sure. So the hemp oil is going to have these phytocannabinoids. So imagine the endocannabinoid system widespread throughout our organs and tissues responds is uniquely designed to respond to these botanical bioactives, which I have to just talk about the fact that like we've been missing these bioactives for 50 plus years in our country. Okay. So that would be like, I don't know if carotenoids, like the reason why we're missing it is because there were like sweeping laws in the late thirties and then it came back production during World War II, but then it, a sweeping law again in the seventies, it equated hemp with marijuana. And it, they, they said it's a drug class one drug nonsense. But anyways, what if there had been some throwing the baby out with the bathwater with carotenoids and our vision suffered as a nation, right? Like, it's ridiculous. There's this entire system that is designed in our body waiting to be nourished 
by phytocannabinoids. And, and we don't, it's not top of mind because it's not like, you know, if you don't get enough vitamin C, you can get scurvy. Or if you don't get vitamin D as a kid, you can have rickets. Maybe because it's not blatantly out there manifesting physiologically. But all the endocannabinoid research that is so cool and, and rapidly emerging suggests that this system is like a fancy thermostat for homeostatic balance in our bodies. So whether that is, hey, time to calm down, time to calm down or time for sleep, or we know that it's important for immune function and, and for a healthy inflammatory response, the endocannabinoid system. These phytocannabinoids in the hemp oil are able to interact with this complex system. And in fact, clinical trials, the CBD levels range from about 15 to 25 milligrams of CBD. We went specifically with 20 milligrams of CBD in our per gel cap, but these clinical trials show CBD can improve our stress resilience, reduce anxiousness, and just set us up for a, a balanced feeling that you would want leading into to your rest. And then ashwagandha, so this is a unique botanical. The extract that we used is by Shodan. This is the root and the leaf extract. Um, of all the ashwagandha options in the world, this one is the most bioactive in the market by a lot. And why I say that because it has 35% glycoanalydes. This is on our, we put this on our label. We test for them. We ensure that amount is in there. A lot of other ashwagandhas will have like 5%, 12% on a good day. So 35%. And these are the, if, if CBD and phytocannabinoids are the bioactive in hemp oil, glycoanalydes are the bioactive in the ashwagandha. And the way that this is distinctively supporting our wind down, our calm, separate from hemp oil, is the clinical trials show that Shodan ashwagandha can help support calm and stress reduction. And interestingly, it's interacting with the HPA axis. The ashwagandha has been shown to reduce key stress bio biomarkers like cortisol. We've all heard of cortisol, the stress hormone. It's going to attenuate or lessen the cortisol response. And then in, in terms of the lavender oil, we went again with the clinically studied dose on all three of these. So I'll just call that out. It was 20 milligrams of the CBD in the hemp oil coming from 100 milligrams of the hemp oil, 240 of the Shodan ashwagandha, and then 80 milligrams of the lavender oil. And the clinical trial evidence for lavender oil at 80 milligrams is very strong, so strong that there's systematic reviews and meta-analyses at that point, at this point rather, of those many clinicals. And it's interacting with the nervous system and in a mood stabilizing and even a neuroprotective way. So there's a cool neuroimaging study I found using a PET scan, and it shows that lavender oil is interacting with key serotonin receptors in our brain to, in fact, elicit these calming uh, sensations and benefits. And just since I called out CBD and glycoanalydes, uh, the bioactive in lavender that's famous, y'all might have heard of, is linalool. It's a famous terpene known for relaxation. So we uh, made sure our lavender oil was high concentration of linalool. I, I love this product. I swear by it. I, I 
call it my appetizer, if you will. <laughs> and, and our entree is sleep support. And Colleen and I do this every night. Literally, we, we do Calm Plus, then we do Sleep Support Plus. Sleep Support Plus is a beloved product here at My Buddy Green. It's a bestseller. I'm curious from your point of view, why do you think it's so loved? <laughs> Yeah. By by everyone who works here and, and our audience. What's maybe walk us through what's working and how and just your general thoughts on why it works so well. Yeah. Before I do that, I will say I so I tried Calm Plus for the first time at night before before sleep, like last week. And I will tell you that because I normally use it during the day. So folks know, you know, it yes, it's critical for wind down if that's what you need it for, but it's also a versatile product during the day for like stress yep. reduction. And I used it that particular night because something stressful had <laughs> happened. But anyways, back to Sleep Support Plus, that is uniquely for one to two hours before bedtime. So we can pigeonhole that one right there. I, I think Sleep Support is beloved because it's an effective trio. And I, I think that it's not, we can talk about melatonin more later, but it's not hijacking like na natural hormonal systems, right? It, this, our sleep support plus is an essential natural macro mineral in a gentle bioavailable form. And PharmaGaba is a clinically studied naturally occurring amino acid neurotransmitter. And then a botanical. So I think the trio is just like honoring it's not like hijacking systems. It's complementing natural sleep pathways. <laughs> I'm glad you pointed that out. It, it's We named the product Sleep Support Plus. It's a nudge. It's not Sleep Sledgehammer Plus. <laughs> uh, and there is a reason for that. And maybe segue to melatonin, which is a little bit of a sledgehammer. You know, we want to create something. We want to create a product that was sustainable. And you could, and for those who, who needed the nudge, because I, I think a nudge and look like a lot of people struggle with sleep, but I think to get to a place where you get a, a nudge is a good place to be, but a sledgehammer all the time is not. And that sledgehammer approach is, it's just, it's a difficult approach. I'll, I'll pause there. Yeah. I think that we have like, I've grown up seeing melatonin in the stores at these doses that you just assume are normal. Okay. Three milligrams, five milligrams, 10 milligrams. And then you go to the actual science and look for where those doses are supporting like normal everyday kind of circadian rhythm sleep needs. And it's not there. And in fact, you go to the science and look at what level of melatonin is normal physiologically. And that research was done in like the 70s and 80s, by the way, but it's around 0 0.3, 0 0.5 milligrams. So three, three milligrams, 10 times that, five and 10. And I think there's a reason why EFSA, the European Food Safety Authority, recommends a dose of no more then 0.3 to one milligram of melatonin to support the effect of, of sleep. And then also the bulk of the evidence on melatonin, the most compelling evidence is going to be for like, when you have an anomaly in your sleep circadian rhythm, such as 
when we all used to fly in planes and go places, <laughs> jet lag. Or... It's happening again. It's happening again. We're getting on planes. All right, we'll fly. Jet lag or shift work, really thankful for all the nurses and medical folks doing shift work. But like these are indications where your melatonin dose might be higher. And you would, of course, work with a healthcare professional to, to hone that. But not only that, so, so I'll just bring up a pet peeve. People will say, oh, well, melatonin's a hormone. I also oh, melatonin's a hormone. Like, are you sure you want to supplement with that? And they're like, well, vitamin D is a hormone and you supplement with that. And I'm like, it's not actually. So vitamin D is a pre-pro hormone. Then it's converted in your liver to a pro hormone that's converted in your kidneys to a hormone. That's the active form. I'm not giving myself calcitriol. I'm giving myself vitamin D3. So bad comparison. Melatonin is a hormone that your pineal gland secretes. I have not seen good data. Like there's just been these statements said and passed down through generations. Like you can take high doses of melatonin and it won't impact your endogenous natural production of melatonin. Like show me a well-designed clinical trial that measured that. I, I haven't found it. And beyond that, like, when we initially were chatting earlier, women, of course, men have their own mix of hormones, but women have hormonal flux and change and challenges throughout life. And I, I don't like to play with high doses of, of hormones, like ever. Again, if an endocrinologist was treating something specific, that's very different. And so I think there's more research to be had here. If you utilize melatonin, consider a lower dose, like a 0.3 or 0.5 milligram. Consider a plant-based form. Like I said, 99% of melatonins are synthetic. So that's my take on melatonin. It's gotten some excellent PR that's maybe not rooted in science for decades. Yeah. And to build off that, it, look, it's a reset, whether it's jet lag or uh, shift work or just a really bad night, it's a reset. And yeah. the point you hit on 0.3 is 0.3 to half, maybe up to one sometimes mm -hmm. is safe, but we've built, you built a top, we've built a tolerance to it. So when right. you see like five milligrams, 10 milligrams, it's like our supersized culture and mm -hmm you build a tolerance to a hormone, it's just not healthy, I, I think, especially if you're a woman. There's some science to back that very fact that, in fact, the desensitization of the melatonin receptors, you need more. Well, what about these scary dreams and this waking up kind of groggy and hungover feeling? Like it's this cycle that you're getting yourself into. I, I would, yeah, I would challenge, and I, I have had clients where I'm like, I challenge you to, do a melatonin, like not a fast, but like come off of it gradually. And then yeah, fast and, and see if some of those things change and try, try some more, some less hormonal, natural helpers. So we've talked about our beloved magnesium bisglycinate in our, in our product and our pharmagaba. And, and you mentioned jujube and I just, jujube most people haven't heard of. So it's it, true. it, it in some ways, it's the magic and the trio. Can you talk a little bit about jujube and what's special about that herb, about that botanical? Yeah, it's like the exotic uh, player. So this jujube seed extract is it's a plant, it's botanical. It is, we included it 225 milligrams, so not a piddly amount by any means. In the literature, so 
I always talk about the phytonutrient. What is the bioactive? For jujube, there are saponins is what they're called. And in fact, as studies have shown that saponins can increase sleep time. And this botanical, in both preclinical and clinical literature, and just anecdotally as a Ayurvedic complementary medicine tool for hundreds of years, is known to have calming and sedating properties and actions in the body. So it's the trio and it's the combination. Like, I don't think it's jujube on its own. I really think it's the, you have this steady state relaxation of the magnesium. And also, by the way, magnesium helps with muscle relaxation and the magnesium bisglycinate is not just about gentleness and bioavailability. Glycine itself, an amino acid, has clinical relevance for improving sleep parameters. And then GABA, I mean, GABA on its own has has been widely studied for enhancing sleep quality. And it's just super important for functions of the central nervous system and stress reduction and slow wave sleep. But PharmaGABA, the form we went with, it has clinical trials to back its sleep quality benefits at this dose specifically of 100 milligrams. So we've got our we've got our trio and sleep support plus. We've got our trio and calm plus. So how do these two products or buddies if you will work together in tandem to help us wind down and get to yeah. sleep? <laughs> I, I mean I think there's just obvious potential for synergy and partnership here between the two and calm plus is just the singular gel cap and then sleep support and the vegan capsules two two capsules for the serving size there so i think this is why you'll find sometimes that sleep support ingredients botanicals can find themselves in calm promoting supplements and vice versa that they are beneficial and and helpful to each other and I I don't like to silo hemp oil and ashwagandha and lavender to just nighttime. Like I mentioned, I think they can be versatile and relevant throughout the day, depending on the individual's needs. But if wind down evening time is the ritual where you need it most, and I think that's true for a lot of our nation, then yes, I like to think of Calm Plus as like a botanical trio this is like your sleep pregame since we're in football season. <laughs> this is your pregame. And then your that's what Calm Plus can be for your sleep support. And then sleep support plus is like, all right, coin toss kickoff has happened, like game time, t- time for the Z's. So I, I, I think that you're, you and Colleen of N of two have attested to the fact, but we've heard, it, <laughs> no, we've heard it from other customers. They're already doing the pairing with success. So. Something that was fascinating in in our process of creating these products is diving into the science and discovering that some ingredients really had no science and that there were a lot of myths. Can you share or bust a few, if you will, that we came across in this process? Sure. Well, and when I think of myths, I also sometimes think of what are questions that we'll get from our Mind Body Green our family when they write in. So when we were developing these products, um, like the one that comes to mind, magnolia bark extract, this lacked the level of science and actually the level of safety, you know, safe use and history of use that 
we would like to see for something you would consume every night for sleep. Another one was, I think it has potential to grow, but like Rafuma leaf extract, it has, I think, one clinical and that's promising, but we, we wanted a little bit more. In terms of like Calm Plus and hemp is clearly the leader in that formula. Myth I'd like to bust is hemp is not pot. So I answer consumer affairs questions when y'all write in and they're pretty technical. And so some of y'all write in and are like, I want hemp oil. I don't want cannabis sativa. And I'm like, well, hemp oil is cannabis sativa. And, and actually same genus species name for marijuana, but they are unique varietals, cultivars, whatever term you want to use. And as we mentioned for ours, the European hemp oil is unique to the level of DNA confirmation. So um, you can trust us. You can trust us. I don't know how many other people you can trust, though, but you can trust us. Jason does not want to get high. <laughs> our, our hemp is not pot. <laughs> yes. and, then, and then another hemp confusion point is that CBD itself is hemp. And so, no, like CBD isolate products are not hemp. Hemp oil is this full array, this bouquet, if you will, of plant compounds as they were designed to interact and a term used as the entourage effect, which is still being vetted out in science, but like at the mechanistic level, the science suggests that makes sense. Like it's why you eat whole foods. Yeah, it's it's the whole of the, the whole is the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. And if you're just stripping out for C B D, you're just taking one part, but you want the whole. Exactly. Yeah. I think another, when we were looking for the best ashwagandha, some of the earlier versions we considered, they're widely used in the market, have much lower glycoethanolide content, and some were derived from dairy, had yeah dairy-derived ingredients. So it didn't make the cut for us personally. And, and then I think maybe the last myth is that People just assume like melatonin is the go-to sleep supplement. And, and that's not what I think you would flip your flip that on its head. Actually, I, I would say melatonin might be one of the last options that you try and utilize and in a high quality and like mindfully low dose approach. So I'm going to come back to routine. I said I'd share a little bit about our routine, which I'll do. So, you know, as I mentioned for Colleen and I, we take our Calm Plus product right after dinner, followed by a little TV. I know it's counterintuitive, but as long as we don't watch the evening news, we're good with it. We put our kiddos to bed. We have our sleep support product about one to two hours before bed. And then what else do we do? One we make sure the room is as cool as it can be. So in our household, it goes to 67. If it could go down a couple degrees further, we would. We black out the room. Colleen leaves her phone downstairs. I, I leave mine near me just because I track everything. And then we have our different rituals. So sometimes for Colleen, she'll take a, a bath. I was never into baths. So I won't do that. Sometimes I'll watch basketball or sport i'll come back to tv a little bit if it's sports for me it helps me wind down so that's what we do and it works and i'm curious ashley how do you think about from a personal point of view and what does science say about like winding down hmm. i think for science that wind down and sleep rituals should always be considered with the individual needs and 
and preferences. I mean, the big picture is you don't want to be fighting nature. If you ever feel like you're fighting your internal sinking mechanisms, <laughs> the sleep-wake cycle and those clock genes, then like, listen, that's part of mindfulness and, and try and shift because I think there's been society doesn't accommodate like late sleep chronotypes. I'm not a morning person. Like I never have been. There's some other folks like that who can empathize, but like it's society is almost rewarded like a badge of honor if you get four or five hours of sleep and you're an early riser. But the clock genes would suggest and different chronotypes would suggest we are individuals, even in our sleep needs and patterns. And I think that another way I approach sleep as a scientist, I alluded to this earlier, is we're not treating this essential daily need as as critically as like, hey, if someone said I haven't had water, I haven't consumed water in a few days, you'd be like, that's really bad. Same with, should be with sleep, but we're not. We, we're really framing it as, an aspiration or like, I'll get more of that later in life. Sure thing. And in fact, the people might not realize inadequate sleep, the data is really compelling and kind of scary as to inadequate sleep being tied to depressed immune function, diabetes, obesity, heart attack, stroke, mood disorder, sexual dysfunction in terms of like our jobs, like errors in our job or not just our job when we're driving or doing our jobs and depending on what your job is an error can be a matter of life or death. So it, it goes on and on, like the impacts are massive. So I would encourage us to think of sleep again, like we treat it for children. We all know kids need their routine and like going to brush your teeth and put on your onesie and read the book and like (laughs) then sing the lullaby. And like, why did we grow out of that? We need the adult equivalent of this routine, and we should really, I think, embrace what that looks like for us. And I'm, by the way, I'm saying it's something like almost hedonistic to look forward to and find pleasure in and make it characteristically yours. So you mentioned you don't like bath. I think a lot of women would envision like a candle in some bath time and a bath bomb and or, or maybe it's really a buffet of options maybe it's like some stretching or a calming some music you find calming you really have so many options but if you don't look forward to it then why are you going to be motivated to to like cherish this time that's critically important for your overall health so one thing i'll say that's like science As a person, I actually like to think of nighttime starting in the morning. So for me, if I'm intentional about natural light exposure, like first thing, I am syncing with what the circadian rhythm, you know, is designed to to be doing. So I'll kind of be silly in the morning and even go out and like, well, so interestingly, I'll just share something personal. So I have to take thyroid medication every day because I had Graves disease and they had to uh, surgically remove my thyroid when I was 30. So I have to take this medication very early in the morning at 3 a.m. So I set my alarm, take it at 3 a.m. What do I not do at 3 a.m.? I like turn no lights on. I still have my 
I, I sleep with earplugs and a noise machine and a sleep mask. <laughs> and I raise the sleep mask enough to find my way to my medication, which cannot be right next to my bed because I will not get, I will not take it. I, it'll, I'll wake up at six, seven and it will not be taken. So I keep it in the restroom and I make sure there's like no light in that transaction. <laughs> but then when I do want to wake, I get up, get the largest glass of water and I look outside. The current view I have is quite lovely in Charleston. I get to see some water. So I'm looking at the water and the dolphins and I think that I'm honoring my sleep that's going to come later in that day by that initial light um, exposure. A shower for me in the morning is like, like I said, I'm not an early riser. So a shower is critical for a wake up. In, in the evening, physical activity is important for my like pre-wind down. And I and blue light conscious, but again, like not overly zealous about television. I find certain shows to be relaxing. Some of them would be embarrassing if I told you that, but they're guilty pleasures and they're vegetative in a certain way. And at night, I something I was thinking that is part of my wind down is my beauty regimen. So Alex Engler and I were talking recently on Clean Beauty School about like looking forward to... Um, washing our face and like exfoliating and hydrating. And even I was talking to my facialist about this just this last week, asking her, how often do you, does she massage the face? And she was like, oh, you can do that every night. You massage up and in this direction and blood flow and et cetera. So for me, a beauty regimen, I look forward to and find it relaxing. And then temperature control, I'm you said 67. I, yeah, I'm at 68. Earplugs, noise machine, eye cover. I'm a side sleeper. I will never be anything else. <laughs> and prayer is something that has been an important part of my sleep ritual. It probably not shouldn't be a nun or a monk because I sometimes fall asleep while I'm praying. But anyways, prayer, I think, can look like many things for folks. Um, Emma was writing recently on my buddy green about like putting your thoughts down, getting them off your mind, like things you're grateful for or things you're anxious about. And you could write that down in a journal or like, sometimes that looks like prayer for, for other folks. So I think that for each individual, just to tailor it to what you look forward to and what is going to relax you the most. Well said. And I am so excited about our restful ritual bundle as i think you all know by now i love our duo of calm plus and sleep support plus which have really helped my evening routine and have given me sleep given me back hours of deep sleep and i wake up refreshed every day so give it a try get ready to help ease those overactive thoughts, fall asleep faster, wake up feeling restored without that hangover effect. So go to mindbodygreen.com slash unwind and use code RESTPOD to take up to 20% off our Restful Ritual Bundle. Ashley, thank you so much. Thank you. 